0: Again, happy Mother's Day to you. Um, We are continuing on with our series this morning that we are calling Meeting Jesus. Meeting Jesus. And this series has been uh, just really a very simple series. All we've been doing is reading the stories of people who during Jesus' ministry, those who met him, those who uh, interacted with him. And we're just reading through these stories and seeing More than just reading the story, we're trying to see what that speaks to, how we commune with, how we meet with, how we talk with, how we interact with Christ. And and while it's been a simple series, it's also been, at least for me personally, a very powerful series. It's made an impact on my heart, and so I hope it has for you as well. Today, we are going to continue that series. One of the things for Mother's Day that we wanted to do was we wanted to... Um, uh, have read a story where there was a mother who came to Jesus and so just in honor of our mothers uh, today that's the way we wanted to go last week if you did not uh, join us for the service I hope you go back and you listen to the message from Reverend Dennis Rivera who brought uh, just a very powerful word last week um if you miss it, you can go to our website and listen to it there. If you didn't think it was as powerful as I did, go back and listen to it again because it was very good. It was, it was uh, through the story of Ruth, and so go out and check it out um, if for some reason you missed it. In fact, just go and check it out regardless, okay? At the end of that, he brought up the story of the Syrophoenician woman. And we've been kind of planning for several weeks to go that direction. And I'm just believing that the Holy Spirit was just salting your heart a little bit in preparation for this morning. So if you would grab your Bibles this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are some that are spread out throughout the seats. For those of you who are on the front row, either on the floor or up in the balcony, and you're like, oh, he always says that there's Bibles spread around. Those Bibles on the front row are actually underneath the seat today. So if you just would reach underneath yourself and grab that Bible that's under your butt, and then you could pull that out once you have it, if you would open it to Mark. I don't know what that says theologically, sitting on the Word of God. It's kind of like standing, but maybe more restful. So those on the front row are more spiritual than the rest of you. (laughs) Grab your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 7. If you grab that Bible and you don't own a Bible, we would just love to give that to you as our gift today. Take it home. Uh, We want everybody to have the scriptures, and so uh, just grab that hardback Bible and bring it home with you today. First, though, open it up to the book of Mark chapter 7 this morning. The book of Mark chapter 7 for what we are calling the first taste. The first taste. Mark chapter 7, verse 24 is where we're going to begin with the story of the Syrophoenician woman. Here we go. Verse 24, here's what it says. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And from there... He arose, he being Jesus, he arose and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So one of the things with this series that, that we tried to do is a lot of times we're reading through these stories and we don't mention cities or, or regions that maybe you don't, locations that we don't res- necessarily know right off the top of our head. Where's Tyre and Sidon? And so one of the things that's important to us is that we actually understand what's going on. So one of the things we like to do is just show a map. And so this morning, I want to show you uh, what this looks like uh, with the the region of Tyre and Sidon. So so the area on the north of Israel is, is Galilee. And, and Galilee looks a little bit like this, okay? It's not exact, but you can kind of get the idea. I'm not an artist, but you can kind of feel what I'm trying to get across. So that's Galilee, okay? This is an area that is, it's not under Jewish control because it's all under Rome. Everything we're looking at right now is under Rome's control. But this is a Jewish area, and it's in the north of Israel. Below this, of course, is Samaria. Right below Samaria is Judea. And so this is under the control, nominal control, of Herod. But while Galilee is, it's surrounded, just like Israel is today, by areas that are not Jewish. They're Gentile. And so to the north, you have this area over here that is Syria, okay? This is Syria. And, and down here, you have this other area that is what's called the Decapolis, Okay, and it kind of goes right over the Jordan River and kind of goes back over there. So this is the Decapolis. And both of these are Gentile areas. So they're surrounded by, and these are outside of the control. Herod's not in charge of these areas. Okay, so Tyre and Sidon are up here in Syria. Here's Tyre, and Sidon's about 20 miles north of that. Okay, so kind of close to, if not exactly right in that area. So it's in Syria. This is not in Galilee. This is not an area that's Jewish. This is very specifically a Gentile, non-Jewish area. Now we know, just prior to this, where Jesus was. If you read just a few chapters before this, or even the last chapter before this, he was on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee in a place called Gennesaret. While he's there, he's healing people. Really powerful things are happening on top of these healings. While he's there, he breaks the bread and he feeds 5,000, okay? Then it says that he heads up to uh, the Tyre and Sidon and, and, or into the region of Tyre and he stops there. That's actually where our story takes place in Tyre. After the story takes place, then he heads up to Sidon. He comes back down to Tyre and then he heads over here and he ends up going down into the Decapolis and while he's in Decapolis, first thing he does is he heals a man who is deaf and then the next thing he does is he breaks bread again, multiplies the loaves and the fishes again and this time he feeds 4,000, okay? This whole journey is about 120 to 150 miles depending on the exact path that he took and it's through pretty decently rough terrain He heads up to this place that's not under control of Galilee. In fact, Tyre is not spoken of very highly in the Bible. Uh, Tyre is (laughs) the opposite of that. Uh, For a while, Tyre and and Israel were kind of together. They traded, and during the time of of David and Solomon... They, they had a good trade going on between them. See, the Tyre, Tyre is like a port city, and so there's a lot of trade that goes through there. Galilee is like the heartland. You can send out a lot of bread from there, and so they, they would send it off, and there would be trade between them. After Solomon's death, though, then things get ugly between them. Tyre and Israel get at odds. And eventually, it gets to the point where even in Ezekiel chapter uh, 28, there's a prophecy and it's actually the prophecy that we base our understanding of who Satan is off of. Because there, Ezekiel actually says that, that just like Satan... Tyre will be struck down, like he was this, he was this beautiful angel of light, and, and he rose up and said, I will sit on the throne of God, and he says, and in the same way, Tyre itself will be the same thing. Tyre is a place of idolatry, it's a dark, dark, and quite honestly, very evil place. Jesus himself, in Luke chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, says, to the people of Galilee, he says, listen, I did some miracles among you, and you don't believe he said, so on the day of judgment, it's actually going to be better for the people of Tyre and Sidon than it will be for you. And everybody's like, oh, better for Tyre and Sidon? Man, that's harsh, right? So this is a place that is dark. It's a place that's evil, and everybody knows it. And that's where Jesus heads, and that's where our story takes place today in that town, okay? Okay? Turn that off. Let's go back to the scripture, and here's what it says. Um, in, Matthew, or in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, it says, He rose from there, Genesaret, on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Verse 3, And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So we don't know whose house this is. Friends, family members of one of his disciples, we don't really know. But he goes to Tyre, he stops at a house, and yet when he comes in, people know he is. And it seems like he's deliberately not trying to be found. It says that. He was, he was hoping that no one would know, or he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. You can't hide Jesus, right? Can't put Jesus in a corner. Anyways, you can't hide Jesus, Anybody under the age of like 25 is like, I don't get it. Can't put Jesus in a corner. So, so you can't hide him. He goes to this, and apparently at least someone sees him. Now here's the thing. It seems like Jesus is coming in order to get rest. Because back in Galilee, and actually for the last three chapters in the book of Mark, Jesus has been, it seems, trying to get away in order to get rest. In fact, the whole feeding of the 5,000, if you read at the beginning of that story, it says that he goes to an area that's desolate. The problem is that he goes across the Sea of Galilee, and while he's going across in a boat, people are running around the lake in order to meet him there. And once he gets there, then people are head off running again and bring a bunch of people in order to bring them to Jesus. And In Mark chapter 3, verse 8, it actually says that people had gone on so much and had come, gathered, and everybody wanted to touch Jesus' clothes in order to be healed. And as a result, it got to the point where they were afraid that he was going to get crushed. That's the actual word that's used. He's going to get crushed. And so they have an emergency boat on standby in order that he can sneak away if he needs to. And so they're afraid of all of this, and so it seems like he's trying to, he's actually been trying to get rest, it seems, ever since John the Baptist was killed. So he heads off to Tyre. Doesn't want anybody to know that he's there. Yet he could not be hidden. Somebody at least sees him. Now, heading into Tyre, along with 12 smelly disciples who are arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, you can imagine that somebody would notice that. At least one person does. Doesn't, we don't see anybody else in the scripture who it says notices, but at least one lady... When Jesus comes into town sees him. She's heard of him or she's seen him before. We don't know exactly what it is, but as a result, she comes to him. Here's what it says in verse 25. "But immediately <laughs> he gets into town, He heads into, into the house, and immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet so in Matthew chapter 15 it tells the same story and it actually gives the impression like first she comes and she stands outside the house and just starts yelling Jesus son of David have mercy on me so maybe she'd heard other people say it who knows But here, she just begins to yell, and the disciples are like, send this lady away. Call 911. There's somebody standing outside the house yelling. And instead of sending her away, somehow she gets into the house. She falls on her knees, and then we find out more about her. Number one, we find out she's a mom. Right? We don't know if she's a single mom. We don't know if she's a widow, but she's a mother. And it says she has a little daughter. We don't know how old this little daughter is. What's little? Two, four, six, eight, 12, 16? We don't know. Probably on the younger side of the spectrum, but this, she has a daughter. And this mom comes in because of the fact that her daughter had what is called here an unclean spirit. We don't know how that manifested itself. We don't know how she knew that her daughter had an unclean spirit, but she does. So as a result, she first stands outside the house crying out to Jesus, somehow gets in, falls on her knees before him, and begs Jesus to heal her daughter. Can you just hear the heart's cry of a mother here? Like some of you get this way more than I will ever get this. Because some of you are a mom who has done this very thing for her child, fallen on her knees before Jesus, crying out to Jesus, begging Jesus to heal or deliver or reach my daughter or my son. Some of you will get this and understand her heart more than I will ever understand her heart. It's the heart of a mom whose child is in need and she will do whatever it takes to see her daughter healed. Some of you, your knees are still sore from praying on your knees last night, begging Jesus to do something on behalf of your child. That's the heart of this mom. She begs Jesus, heal my daughter. And then we have Jesus' response. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. Or sorry, let me back up, read verse 26 first, because this is important. Now, the woman was a Gentile, which here it's Gentile. If you have the King James Version, it says Greek. It literal is Greek, but it just means somebody who's not a Jew. Syro-Phoenician. This is Syria. Historically, it's known as Phoenicia, and so she's Syro-Phoenician by birth. She was born that way. She was born a Syro-Phoenician. She's not Jewish, really trying to get that home to us. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Verse 27. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ooh. Ouch. Because literally, she is on her knees before him. We don't know if Jesus is standing up. We don't know if Jesus is sitting down. Like, we don't know. But she's on her knees. And he says to her, no. It's not right to throw the food for the children to the dogs. Ouch. You know what Jesus' mama would have done had she been there that day. (laughs) Mary, mother of God would have reached over and smacked God upside the head. (laughs) Guaranteed. This is harsh. Our whole room just got silent as soon as I read what Jesus had to say. And I wonder if it was silent in that room as well. Like if there was a... Did he just do that? (laughs) Did he just say that? This is harsh. And Jesus just says, no, I'm not throwing the food for the children to the dogs. And there's no way she could have expected this answer. So I wonder if there was just like this, whether there was like this dead silent period where everybody gasped. And then there was nothing for a moment, that awkward pause, or if her response was immediate. We don't really know because there's no nuances here in it, but I wonder if it was because there's no way she could have been prepared for that response. I mean, Jesus sometimes was harsh on people. He was harsh on the Pharisees, definitely. He was harsh on the young man who comes to him and says, Jesus, I've kept all those rules since I was a, a little kid. And, and, and Jesus sends him away. But, but even D.L. Moody had a wonderful quote. D.L. Moody said, Jesus sent no one away empty except those who were full of themselves. It's a great quote, right? But here she is, and she's not coming full of herself. She is on her knees before Jesus. And just asking him to heal her daughter. And Jesus says what he says to her. And so maybe there's a pause. Maybe it's immediate. We don't know. But how hard would it have been for Jesus to actually do it? Right? He's got power to spare. He just multiplied bread for 5,000 and had 12 basketfuls left over. And then he leaves here and he heads down to the Decapolis and he multiplies bread again. And there he's got 4,000 and he's got seven basketfuls left over. He's got power to spare. He could say, yep, done. But he doesn't. So she could not have been expecting this. And whether it's immediate or whether there's a pause, whether there's an awkward silence, we don't really know. But here is her response. Mark chapter 7, verse 28. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Whew. What a response. What a response. I mean, even the words she used, yes, Lord. This is the only time in the book of Mark where someone, while they're talking to Jesus, refers to him as Lord, including the disciples. Yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the table. She engages with him on his mission and what it's about and the timing of it. She engages with him on this deep level that nobody else in the book of Mark has done. Fundamentally unique in the book of Mark. It's as harsh as Jesus is, and her response is as deep as you can imagine. You wonder, what did she understand that the disciples didn't? Because the disciples had trouble um, receiving the kingdom of God as children. And she's ready to receive the kingdom of God as a dog. So what does she understand that they don't understand? Or did she just have a dog? You know what I'm saying? Because she's a mom, which means she knows all about crumbs under the table. Can I get an amen? All you need to be is a mom for, like, four days, and you know all about crumbs under the table. Eve knew about crumbs under the table with Cain and Abel. Like, they all get it. So she's a mother, so she knows about crumbs. And her daughter has an unclean spirit, which I would think would make for more crumbs under the table, right? Maybe, I don't know. Okay, but the spirit's unclean. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. So all the mothers in here, please do not go home and tell your kids. Pastor Allen said, you have an unclean spirit. Okay, all right. Anyways, let's keep moving. But I would imagine she knows about crumbs, so maybe she just had a dog. Right? And so she knows all about the crumbs falling on the table. Maybe even that morning she'd seen the dog come over and eat the crumbs off the floor. And Jesus says this, and she's like, ah, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the table. But this response is so beautiful. So beautiful. And then Jesus, as a result, he says, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. The word statement there is the word logos. It's the same word that's used for word in John chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Word. He says, For this word, for this message, for this statement, You may go. Your daughter is healed. This is the only place in the book of Mark where Jesus heals from afar. And then her faith. She didn't go to Jesus and say, all right, come on along with me. Let's see if that's actually the case. Instead, verse 30, And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. She just believed and she just went. <sighs> what an absolutely offensive story. This, is, this offends me. Does it offend you? Like, I think some tri- times we try to lessen the offense. I've heard people say that Jesus probably said this with a smirk, like, (laughs) and then she knew, oh, Jesus. Because this doesn't match with the picture of Jesus that we have in our living room with his kind eyes. I mean, this is offensive. It offends me. And I used to do that. I used to be like, oh, Jesus, I guarantee he was smiling. He might have even chuckled a little bit. But the more and more I read this this week, I cannot keep that understanding Because I hate to break it to you, but Jesus is offensive. Jesus is offensive. And if you don't think that Jesus is offensive, maybe you haven't met Jesus yet. Nobody likes being called hypocrites, an evil generation, a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. I don't mind being called a fox but nobody wants to be called dogs. This is offensive, and we can't minimize the offense. We have to let the offense stand. What Jesus is saying, he means, okay? There's no kind eyes. He's not laughing with his eyes while he's saying this to her. This is offensive. And quite honestly, Jesus offends us. It's offensive to hear the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even the word sin is offensive. And this poor woman, I'm okay with him like being hard on the Pharisees because they chose to be that way, right? And the rich young man, he's rich. He can get over it. But this woman was born that way. She was born as a Gentile. And if this doesn't offend you, let me offend you in this. Who do we see ourselves in this story as? When I read this story, you know who I see myself as? I see myself as the disciple right over Jesus' shoulder going, oh snap, no he didn't. But I'm not, and neither are you. You wanna know how I know that? Are you 100% Jewish? You know who you are? You're the woman on her knees before Jesus that he is calling a dog. That's harsh. That's offensive. And here's the worst part we are not entitled to take offense. We are not entitled to take offense. Those are two really fun words entitled and offense. Don't those two words describe our generation so beautifully? Entitled and offense. What is entitlement, but what do I deserve? I leave here and I go out to eat. And you know what I deserve? I deserve prompt service. I deserve to have a good experience at the restaurant. And if I don't have a good experience at the restaurant, it's my responsibility to train that waiter or that waitress. You don't train your waiter or your waitress, you train your dog's What do we deserve? You don't deserve prompt service. Even if you're paying for it, you don't deserve prompt service. I deserve respect. The other day I was driving down Kansas Expressway (laughs) and I'm driving and this dude in a Jeep with no like doors on it, four kids in the Jeep, speeds alongside of me, cuts me off, and flips me the bird. I'm like, if that was you, four kids and they're young too. And I'm like, what? Dude, like seriously, I'm going the speed limit. And he wasn't even behind me. He had, like, I have no idea what I did to make him mad, but he flips me the bird and I'm like, excuse me. I deserve respect while I'm driving. Or (laughs) when I go to the zoo with Asher, Asher loves going to the zoo. So we have season passes to the zoo, but he doesn't want to actually see the animals. You know what he wants to go to the zoo for? He wants to go to the zoo to play on the playground equipment. I'm like, dude, like a park. We don't even have to pay for that. But he's like, let's go to the zoo. We get to the zoo. Let's go to the playground. But we get there, and I'm sitting there while he's going up the stairs, down the slide, up the stairs, down the slide, up the stairs, down the slide. It's so fun. And uh, while he's going down, all of a sudden he's standing. He waits in line, gets to the front of the line. and An older kid walks up, moves him out of the way, and goes down the slide. And I'm like, excuse me, that is my son, and I pushed that kid over, no, I didn't, but I wanted to, and his parents were right there, and they didn't say a thing, and I'm like, my son deserves to be first in line when he's waited in line, and I don't deserve to have my son moved out of the way, I'm entitled to that, really. What do I deserve? I deserve like the prince of Tyre and like Satan himself to be relegated to the pits of hell. And anything other than that is gravy. And if that offends you, that's because it's offensive. It's offensive to hear that sort of a thing. And Jesus offends this woman. But her response, her response, and the response is what's most important. What do we do with that offense? For her, I mean, she could have been entitled. She could have said to Jesus, "I'm um, Jesus, you're in my town. You came here. You're not even in Galilee. There's no Jewish people all around here. You're not going to take anything away from them by answering my prayer. It's what she could have said, but she doesn't. She also doesn't go, you're right, I don't deserve it, and head out. No, she stays on her knees, puts her hands out, and says, I get it, but grace and mercy. Just give me the crumbs. What a beautiful response. What a beautiful response. So how do we respond? What do we say when Jesus offends us, when he doesn't do what we ask him to do, or he does the opposite of what we ask him to do, or he says something we don't want him to say? What do we do with that offense? Because Jesus always offends for a purpose always offends for a purpose why did Jesus go to Tyre that day if you read the story he goes 120 150 miles which would be like us walking to Fayetteville And then he doesn't do anything else along the way. There's no teaching ministry. There's nobody else who gets healed. And our first hypothesis was that he went in order to get rest. That maybe he went all of that way to get some rest. Now, when was the last time you were feeling tired said, "I'm going to walk to Fayetteville." And why Tyre? I mean, that's like deciding, I need to get some extra rest this weekend and head into Las Vegas. You don't go to Las Vegas to catch up on your sleep. right? You don't go to Las Vegas at all, praise the Lord. <laughs> you don't go to Las Vegas to catch up on your sleep. Why did he go to Tyre? And so we say, okay, maybe it wasn't that he was wanted rest. Because if he wanted rest, all he needed to do was ditch the fishermen... And go find a house somewhere and hang out for the weekend. You don't have to walk 120 and 150 miles, went over difficult terrain in order to get there, and then be there and then say, I'm not going to heal somebody. That that doesn't make any sense. So then some people say, okay, what's going on here is, even if we go back to the map, some people say what's going on here really is that Jesus is um, trying to get away from Herod, okay, So because of the fact that Herod is in control of Galilee, then what he's doing is he's heading up to Tyre to be outside because Herod had just killed John the Baptist. And so maybe he's doing this in order to get some more time, except for the fact that if he had wanted to do that, all he could have done is, is start in Galilee, go around and be in the Decapolis. That's also not under Herod's control. So that can't be it either. Until you look at it and you see Jesus breaks the bread for 5,000. He heads up to Tyre. 150 miles later, he finds himself in the Decapolis where he feeds 4,000. Why did Jesus go all that way? He went for her. And more than that, he went for her statement. For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. For this word, for this message, for this gospel. Before, I fed the Jews. And this woman says, ah, but the dogs eat the crumbs off the table. Who do you think the book of Mark is written to? We know it was 30 years later. Guess who it was written to? The Gentiles in Rome. It was written to the dogs. Which means this statement is the day that the gospel goes to the dogs. And the wall's still up, but soon... Ephesians 2, 13, and 14 will be a reality. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Why did he go to Tyre? He went in order that the message would be communicated, that he was coming to overflow to us all, that the gospel's going to the dogs. What a beautiful, beautiful story this is. And it's incredibly offensive, but what I find absolutely beautiful about it Is that it's the first taste of what will be when there will be no wall that separates Jew and Gentile and no wall that separates us and God. And he went all that way for that statement to be made. (laughs) And she was the one. Why? Because she didn't allow the entitlement, the offense to keep her from just bowing her knee before him and saying, I need mercy and grace. See, we're really, really good at recognizing entitlement in other people, right? Oh my goodness, we're so good at recognizing entitlement in other people. Like we read the story of the prodigal son and you got the son who comes to his dad and says, hey dad, give me my money now. And we're like, man, isn't that our culture? So entitled, it belongs to me. I want it right now. Except the older brother is also entitled. Because when the younger brother comes back and and the father kills the fatted calf, what does the older brother say? Hey, wait a second. (laughs) I've earned this. I've worked hard and you're going to kill the fatted calf for him? Yes, the younger brother is entitled, but the older brother is too. It's just a different form of entitlement. Like, I've earned it, I've gained it, so now I deserve it. None of us deserve anything but the pit of hell. And if that offends you, that's because it's offensive. It doesn't matter if we grew up in church, it doesn't matter if we've been good all our lives and made great decisions. When it comes down to it, each and every one of us is separated from God. It's only grace that we have opportunity to come and nothing we can do will make that way for us. It's grace and our response needs to be gratitude. Gratitude, I think, is the greatest weapon to fight against entitlement and offense. Because anything but the pit of hell is gravy. (laughs) And when we thank God for it, When we recognize that, then we can meet Jesus. Then we can come to him. Because entitlement and offense will always keep us from knowing Jesus on a deep, deep level. Entitlement and offense will keep us from meeting him. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. And this message is so important for us to hear. Because for some of us, maybe when we're before him and we have been bowing our knee and praying and then crying out and calling out for him, boy, it can get easy to say, but oh God, I've been good. Oh God, I've I've been faithful. But it's only his grace and his mercy. It's only what he has done. And we deserve the pit. And yes, it's offensive. But until we come to him and say, yes, Lord, but your body was broken. Yes, Lord, I don't deserve it. But... You gave it anyways. Yes, Lord, I can't earn it, but you still gifted it to me in Jesus Christ. And until we come in that way on our knees before him, we'll never be able to receive him. Never be able to have communion with him. Never be able to know him on a deep level. And this morning, I hope you hear that message. May the power of the Holy Spirit break entitlement in our hearts in the name of Jesus right now. May He break offense in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit right now in all of our hearts. And if you think you can come to Jesus, Without coming first on your knees before him and giving all that you have, may he break in the name of Jesus that deception. Nothing, nothing, nothing but Jesus. 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 Shabbatani. Oh God, in our hearts, if there is any wicked way, help us this morning. If there is entitlement in our hearts this morning, break it in the name of Jesus. May we understand what we deserve. May we understand entitlement. And may we respond in the name of Jesus with nothing but gratitude for your grace to us, O oh God. And in the name of Jesus, if there's anybody in this room who maybe came for a mom, who does not know Jesus, that Jesus who is willing to offend in order to bring us to our knees, in order to say to us, I'll send no one away empty who comes and not full of themselves. May this morning we come empty Asking you to fill us. By the power of the Spirit, work in our hearts this morning. Shine that beautiful spotlight of the Holy Spirit on each spot in our hearts. And as we seek you, God, right now, may we find you in the name of Jesus.